Every memorable gift starts with a wondrous story. Giving a gift with energy helps it last just that bit longer. So imagine a story from the high seas where Jefferson's ocean bourbon and rye whiskies are aged and transformed by unpredictable and unrelenting elements. They'll taste a journey in every sip, darkened by pounding waves, kissed by ocean breezes and caramelised by equatorial heat. Give the gift of adventure. Give Jefferson's Ocean Bourbon and Jefferson's Ocean Bourbon Rye. Please, sip responsibly. Copyright 2023, Jefferson's Bourbon Company, Crestwood, Kentucky. So why do you want to learn a new language? I'll tell you why. Because donde esta el baño can be a very important question at times. You know, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. Fast track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a natural way. I love the fact that I can go from my laptop to my phone to pretty much anywhere and learn the language of my choice. Not to mention I'm bringing my communication skills to new heights. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a limited time, Star Talk Radio listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash startalk. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash startalk today. From the American Museum of Natural History in New York City and beaming out across all of space and time, this is Star Talk, where science and pop culture collide. your personal astrophysicist, and tonight is a special night on Star Talk because we're featuring an interview with one of America's most recognized science educators, Bill Nye, my good yeah! friend. So let's do this. Woo! Yes. Yes. Tonight, my comedic coach, Chuck Nice. Hey, hey, hey. Tweeting at Chuck Nice Comet. Thank you, sir. Yes. Also joining us is engineer and science educator, Emily Calandrelli. Emily! Welcome. And you're executive producer and Emmy-nominated host of the educational TV series, Exploration Outer Space. You also serve as a correspondent on Bill Nye's Netflix show, Bill Nye Saves the World. That's right. So uh, Bill Nye is, as we all know, we, he's beloved and he's a frequent contributor to Star Talk. Yes. But tonight, he's the main attraction. He's my main interview. And I, he came by and he sat down in my office. And I wanted to get the full story on how he created, how he forged his unique path to become America's most beloved science educator. Or maybe he's uh, America's most equally beloved science educator. I'm just going to say. He knows who's paying him. <laughs> <laughs> Let's check out the first clip. Bill. Neil. Dude. Dude. 
Welcome to the show. It's great to be on the show. We have a show called Star Talk. Have really? you heard of it? Tell us about it. <laughs> so, so you you weren't always the science guy. No, that's uh, that's true. So you went to college at Cornell. Yes, I went to Cornell from from DC. From Washington. Born and raised. Born and raised. Okay, so you went to Cornell, majored in a mechanical engineer. You're an ME. I'm an ME. Uh -huh. BSME, because I always liked bicycles and airplanes. What were your years there? Uh, 73 to 77. This coincides with the man himself, Carl Sagan. With Carl Sagan, yes, yes. So, a Professor Cornell. Professor Cornell. So what happened was I completed my engineering requirements. I took three years of calculus. I was good. I took heat transfer, fluid mechanics, strength of materials, uh, design mechanical components, and control systems. Then, uh, with that completed, I decided to take astronomy. Now, as you may know, my father was a prisoner of war for 44 months, longer than anybody else from the U.S., and during this internment, apparently... A German prisoner of war or Japanese? Japanese. And if you get a chance to be a prisoner of war, don't do it. Right. It sounds like a real drag. Right. But he became fascinated with the night sky during this time. He could easily tell you all 88 traditional constellations, and he could just look up in the Northern Hemisphere and do, what, four dozen? Something about that. Is that about right? In the Northern Hemisphere? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Northern Hemisphere, you see also some of the Southern Hemisphere. I say, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, so I decided to take astronomy from this famous guy, Carl Sagan. And my claim, Neil, is I was in class when he asked us what rock and roll song should we put on the records to go out of the solar system aboard the two Voyager spacecraft. And my claim is... This is the is famous Voyager record. Golden... Sounds of Earth. Sounds of Earth. And so my claim is, we were there, he wanted to put on uh, Roll Over Beethoven, a sort of a inclusive rock and roll, classical music uh, embrace somehow. But we said, no, no, rock and roll, Chuck Berry, it's Johnny B. Good. And that's what we told him in class. And so uh, that was an exciting time, Neil. It was exciting. And in fact, Johnny B. Good was sent on the record. Nice. So, Emily, you tweet as the space gal. The space gal. Very yeah. cool. Very cool. And so, so when did your interest in space begin? So I wasn't really a space nerd until I got to college. And I remember exactly when it happened, because I was walking down the hallways of West Virginia University, where I went for undergrad, and I was choosing what engineering major I wanted. I knew I wanted engineering, but I didn't know what kind. And I saw a poster of a student floating in weightlessness. And it said something corny like, at West Virginia University, you can do your homework weightless. And I was like, what kind of nerdy metaphor is that? <laughs> and it turns out that if you studied aerospace engineering, you can fly in something called the Vomit Comet, mm -hmm. which, as you know, I'm sure, that plane that flies like a roller coaster in the sky and allows you to float weightless inside of it. And so I wanted to fly in the Vomit Comet, and that's why I did aerospace engineering. Did you fly in the Vomit Comet? Three times. Did you vomit in the Vomit Comet? One time. Oh! <laughs> oh! Because if you vomit in zero-G, the vomit doesn't go to the ground, it just floats and gets in everyone else's hair. Right. Yeah. And that is just nasty. Yeah, it's not good. All right, so after Bill Nye's degree, uh, he landed a job at Boeing up in Seattle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he worked on the design and production of America's most famous jet, 
the Jumbo Jet. Nice. The Boeing 747. I asked him about that. Let's check it out. You graduate from Cornell. Yeah. Get hired by Boeing. Yeah, recruited. HQ is in, uh, is in at Seattle. At that time, Seattle, yep. They got their own runway. Yeah, that's a cool thing about airplane building, if you decide to go in the business. Your factory has to be at the end of a runway. <laughs> and so you might not, like when you buy a car, you're very happy that your new car only has a mile on it or a mile and a half or even six miles if they're right. giving somebody a test drive. Your airplane doesn't come on the back of a truck. They fly <laughs> it to wherever you are. And they, in some cases, they take, we take all the seats out or don't put the seats in until it gets there because they're a little too heavy to fly nonstop on these extraordinary journeys back then. So, uh, In other words, if you're going to deliver a 747 to Thailand... Thailand, you could, it's, how about uh, Cape Town? Cape Town, sure, yeah. crossing the equator. Yeah. So you you got to send it there light. Yeah, yeah. And they thought of that. Okay. That's engineering, which is all physics, Neil, applied physics. It's using physics to make things. That's our biz. So what did you do for Boeing? Uh, I worked mostly on uh, the horizontal stabilizer, a little bit on nose wheel steering. And of the 747? 747. But I did work a little bit on 737. A little bit on 27 and uh, excuse me, 27. 727. Yeah. 27. Well, that's how you say it. What are you going to do? <laughs> no, so 273747 and uh, just the 57 uh, is a f great airplane, but it is, as we say in the business, a derivative bit. So, what's your favorite seven? Well, I'm, I have great affection for 747. Uh -huh. 747 had a whole bunch of innovations. Did you know that 747 has no direct connection between the yoke, the steering and rudder pedals, and the control surfaces. The first fly-by-hydraulic airplane. Mm. It is an ast astonishing thing that I find thoroughly charming. If a 737 loses all its hydraulic power, a human can operate it with his bare hands. So what you do is use the energy of the moving air to operate control surfaces and steer the plane. You lose maneuvering performance, but you can do it. But the 747 can't do that. 747 relies on re windmilling engines, which have a lot of drag, aerodynamic drag, but it works. Okay. It's quite a thing. You so, go on a flight test, turn off all the engines. <whistles> Is it going to land? I guess we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, so what, what was missing at the end of that that bit, that segment, was the question is, well, will it land? The plane will always land. The plane will land. It's just a matter of whether it lands softly. <laughs> yeah. Gravity takes care of the landing exactly. part every time. The, the landing will happen that no matter what. Will happen. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so, so, Emily, do you know about this hydraulic system that he was talking about in the 747? So, I'm not a plane person. I'm more of a space person in the aerospace. I that was just a disc. Didn't that sound like a disc? I know. She's like, no. you earthling. You earthling. You, you just earth need your, air. With your air. <laughs> you know what I mean? Your need for lift and drag. And I'm a space person. Okay. Space is a bit cooler. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. But, but so the flying without engine power, yeah. it's just a glider, I guess, at that yeah, point. Yeah, it's just a glider. And so I did a little, this, that was kind of over my head. And so I would be a bad science communicator if I couldn't quickly learn about things like that. So I did a little research. And what he's talking about is that 
large airplanes like the 747 use hydraulic systems to help the pilot control different things on the airplane, like things like landing gear and, and flaps and stuff like that. When the engines cut out, those hydraulic systems don't work and it becomes a glider and it kind of loses altitude fairly quickly. But on the 737, an older airplane, the pilot can maneuver it himself but, or herself, but it's really difficult. You need a lot of strength to be able to do it and it's definitely not an ideal situation and in a very, very, very not ideal situation. With the 747, they have these windmilling engines where it's like a windmill. And if you see a 747 on a runway, and it's totally turned off, but there's a strong breeze. You you'll see them see inside those... the turbines, they start moving. Exactly. And I know that because they have a exactly. little teeny, like, hypnotic little yes. thing on there. Yes. And I look at them all the time, and then I want to kill somebody. <laughs> oh. <laughs> all right. It's an good. unintended side effect. But on windmilling uh, engines like that, they can help provide more uh, air pressure for those systems. And so it's just a, a more innovative design to help in that very unideal situation. Unideal. Unideal. Uh, unideal. An That's ideal the euphemism here. I like that. Yes. Yeah, yes. you're about to crash? That's exactly. unideal. Right. That's uh, great. Ladies and gentlemen, Flight 666. <laughs> uh, we're in an unideal situation right now. <laughs> I like the seat cushion can double as a toilet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so when Bill was at Boeing, he invented a hydraulic resonance suppressor that is still used today in the 747. Uh, but he also holds several patents for other inventions. I don't know how many, but we have a few of them, right? Mm -hmm. So we've got a few. So one of them is a... This, these, are, these are legit. These are to real. Totally real, legit. Thing. So this is a throwing technique training device, and it helps optimally position the athlete's throwing hand and elbow before throwing a ball. You ever wow. see some people that they really know how to throw? Right. This will help them know how to throw. It, there you go. They, there you go. Cool. Next one, he's got an improved ballet slipper <laughs> that puts less stress on your toes. So this one, it supports the ballet dancer's foot while dancing on point. That's cool. See that? So it's, it's got structural and, support. And I know, I know it's real because those are real patent numbers up there. Yes, they are. <laughs> yes, they are. This one is an educational lens, and it's a magnifying glass created by filling a specially shaped plastic pouch with water. That is really cool. Yeah, give it up for Bill give Nye's patent. Bill with his real patents. Real patents. Well, before we get the full story on his, like, the science guy, I had to get the story on his bow tie. Yes. Uh. Wait, what's going on with that? So let's check it out. Are you wearing bow ties this whole time? So, I was flirting with bow ties. Okay. <clears throat> you know, I'm of European descent. So are a lot of people in Seattle. So are a lot of people doing stand-up comedy or trying to do stand-up comedy. So one seeks to distinguish oneself. And this was at a time when I started working, everybody wore a tie to work. It was still in that era. You look at <clears throat> uh, black and white pictures of people working on airplanes or aerospace in the 1950s. Everybody's got a white shirt and a tie. White shirt and tie. Yeah. So I would wear a tie to work, and then working on a drawing board, I would tuck it in my shirt. So just in der derived from that, I experimented with bow ties. And then I found that they have great practical use. I just never thought about the fact that you'll never get spaghetti sauce on a bow tie. That's right. They do not flip into the flask. They and they don't go into shredders. 
So, Emily, so Bill got his bow tie and it's like his lab coat and his little pencil neck coming uh-huh. through his shirt. Yeah. And that made him a recognizable, lovable character. Mm-hmm. And uh, from, from our crack team of research on your, your activities, uh, you created your own science communication character. I did. You did. I did. Who is Ada Lace? Ada Lace, yes. So Ada Lace is a third grader who loves science and technology and builds her own robots and gadgets to solve mysteries and problems. And you invented her? Yes. This is a, that's beautiful. That, yes. that's beautiful. That's really cool. That, that's beautiful. Yeah. And Ada I, Lace on the case. Ada Lace on the case. And, and I like this little telescope here. Oh, yeah. She's a huge space fan, obviously. How could you not be? Right. So it's hard to picture Bill Nye without his signature bow tie. Without Mm -hmm. a doubt. And if you become, if you start living your character, you become one in in the same. That's right. So I'm always intrigued by people that have these signature things. There's a lot of people in science who actually have, like, signature swag or, you know, like, for for instance, you know, you, you have your ties, and you have your best. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? There's Carl Sagan. Uh-huh. Signature. The turtleneck. 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 Right? Totally. All right, up next, we find out how Bill Nye actually became Bill Nye the Science Guy when Star Talk returns. <laughs> If you and your grandma don't speak the same language, it can be hard to express your love for her. McDonald's can help. To celebrate the launch of the new Grandma McFlurry, McDonald's is inviting fans to visit sweetconnections.ai, where you can record a video message for grandma that's translated into her native language. The tech will clone your voice, reanimate your face, and translate your words so that you look like you're speaking another language. Check out sweetconnections.ai, then get a Grandma McFlurry at McDonald's. Available for a limited time at participating McDonald's. Select languages available. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. Every memorable gift starts with a wondrous story. Giving a gift with energy helps it last just that bit longer. So imagine a story from the high seas where Jefferson's ocean bourbon and rye whiskies are aged and transformed by unpredictable and unrelenting elements. They'll taste a journey in every sip, darkened by pounding waves, kissed by ocean breezes and caramelised by equatorial heat. Give the gift of adventure. 
Give Jefferson's Ocean Bourbon and Jefferson's Ocean Bourbon Rye, please. Sip responsibly. Copyright 2023. Jefferson's Bourbon Company, Crestwood, Kentucky. The future of space and the secrets of our planet revealed. This is Star Talk. Featuring my interview with science communicator extraordinaire Bill Nye. And I asked how his interest in comedy and his background in engineering coalesced into the identity of the science guy. Let's check it out. It's a a wonderful thing to get people to laugh at your comedy jokes. Mm -hmm. And so I started doing stand-up or trying to do stand-up. Like in stand-up clubs and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I would work on a drawing board, and then I would go home and take a nap and then go to comedy clubs. So you were engineer by day, comedian by night. Yes. (laughs) Or that was what I was trying to do. It's a problem. The thing that always troubles me. Is engineering still in your head at some point? Yeah, I miss it. While you're doing that? Yeah. yeah, So was the stick engineering informed? Yes, that's what I say. Hilarious jokes about electrocuting yourself while trying to fix a blender. Wow, is that funny. (laughs) and chewing marshmallows frozen in liquid nitrogen so that steam comes out of your nose. And it's hilarious. Come on, it's a payoff. <laughs> and I realized that what I wanted to do, Neil, I, I came of age at a time, for me as a mechanical engineer, it was really troubling. We had the Chevy Vega and the Ford Pinto. And these were just badly designed cars. The administration decided not to embrace the metric system, something you and I haven't fully agreed on, is my belief. (laughs) This is America, Jack. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) I felt the United States was falling behind uh, industrially. This is America. So I got very concerned about the future. I'm not kidding you, very concerned. And I realized, working at the Science Center in Seattle, that young people are the key to the future. I mean, this is obvious, but... They're the key to our industrial future. They're in key to our economic competitiveness. They're, they're key to the future of civilization. Civilization. And so I wanted to get kids excited about science in the same way I had been excited about science by my teachers and a television guy named Don Herbert, Mr. Wizard. I remember Mr. Wizard. So all this came together That's into my, a unique arc of life. That's my claim. That's my story. So, Bill Nye became a pop culture phenomenon. Anybody growing up in the 1990s, who, that is, in school in the 1990s, knew about his show in science class. And it originally aired on PBS from 1993 to 1998, 100 half-hour episodes. So why do you think the show is so successful? I, I'm going to be honest that uh, when you look at Bill Nye's show, one thing sticks out, and anywhere he goes, people go, Bill, Bill! Bill, Bill, it's the theme song. Yeah. The theme song is awesome. Check this out. Here's the Bill Nye clip. Bill, 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 Bill,
Very Roman. <laughs> That's what that looked like to me. Yeah. A scene from, you know, Game of Thrones yes. where the heads are on spikes. I like it even more now. It was just cre- it was a little creepy to me. But but however, what, I what? will say this that I liked it so much. I took the liberty of making making one for each of you. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we have Emily. Here, okay. here's yours. Here you go. Emily, 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 Emily Calandrelli, the science something. <laughs> Chuck, that was the lamest song ever. That's not good. I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. How'd you get it that good? Mm. (laughs) You couldn't find anything to rhyme with Calandrelli. No, I couldn't. So, you know, but uh, I still think it works. And I I got one for you, You bro. I got one for you. Check it out. Here we go. Here we go. Neil, 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 Neil. Neil Tyson, the astrophysics guy type of Tyson. I'm not about you, but that, that was pretty spooky, actually. <laughs> so, so, Emily, so research has shown that uh, kids who watch the Bill Nye Science Guy show yeah. are more likely to think about science as a, playing a role in their lives and in society. They're most likely to like science. And so did you watch his show growing up? Oh, Yeah. Yeah, everybody. Everybody did. I remember, you know, the wheeling in of the big, hunky TV and then seeing Bill Nye in our in the, classroom. In the classroom. Yeah. So was there a particular episode that you... The, the one that stands out that I remember the most is the planets and moon episode. Where space. The space episode. But I, I remember it because he was on his bike and he did it to show the actual scale of the distance of the planets, which I had never seen of before. You know, you like see those models in your classroom and you think that everything is so close to each other and so neat and perfect. And it fits on two pages of a and book. And it fits yeah, on yeah. two pages of a book. But he showed that that is nowhere near the scale of the universe or the solar system. So so demonstrating things are what, yeah. what, 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 what works there. Yeah. yeah, so so did that so that helped you think scientifically about the world? Well, see, I think thinking scientifically is a very specific way of thinking. And for me, I don't honestly, I don't think I started thinking scientifically until grad school. Because for me, thinking scientifically means like having very specific rules for how you think, having a filter, mm-hmm. having standard standards of thought. Um, but in undergrad, I suffered from like being a perfect student all the time, which meant suffered. I suffered from being a perfect student. Oh, I would definitely say it was suffering because you just always have to get perfect grades. And what you do in school is you memorize a bunch of stuff and then you regurgitate it. Mm -hmm. That's not scientifically thinking. At all. At all. So true. At all. But that was the best way to optimize my schooling. That's how you get good grades. That's how you get good grades. Not how you learn, but it's not it's not how you become a scientifically minded Well, you can learn accidentally. You could. So were you valedictorian? Uh, in, in high school, no. I was never a smart kid. That was never like one of my, I'm a slow learner. So it takes me a long time to learn things than the average Joe, I think. Interesting, because the school system requires that you learn it on a timetable for when the test comes. If it takes you twice as long, but you still learn it, or maybe you learn it better, you yeah. don't get as high grades as someone else who learned it in the time slot uh, allocated. You're absolutely right. And by the way, you feel so much better when you actually learn something. Yeah. You feel Rather you... than lament not having learned it at the time you were supposed there to. There you go. Well, Bill's known as the science guy, but his background is in engineering. So I wondered if we really should have called him the science guy if his background is in engineering. It was just a thought. <laughs> so, so I just have to... Can, can I ask? Am I allowed to have that thought, Chuck? <laughs> Let's check it out. 
So I guess there's no way to have called you Bill Nye the engineering guy. That doesn't have a well, ring I, to it. Well, I call myself that often, yeah. But engineering is based on science, everybody. I know, but there's no... No, but Neil, you see, we all suffer our own insecurities. What, what I'm saying is, it, it seems like scientists are a dime a dozen in the media. Oh, now? But, but no one can name an engineer. We can name you, but you're, but you're Bill Nye the science guy. Yeah, yeah. Should we have somebody, you know, Betty Lou the engineering woman or something? Yes. So that when a bridge falls down, when the levee breaks, when a plane falls out of the sky, when they can't find a sunken ship, they call the engineer person. Uh, Doesn't the world need that? Yeah, and I've been called on uh, okay. plane wrecks and uh, train wrecks. <clears throat> and I pointed out to people how we all rely on engineering. Uh, everything in this room, perhaps these chairs especially, these electronic cameras, all of these things were engineered. We use science to sh make shapes and things and solve the problems associated with those things. You don't just show up and design a car with a certain amount of kilowatts or horsepower. You got to think it through. So you know how many times I'm asked, um, uh, who would win in a cage match between you and me? Oh, you'd kick my ass. <laughs> I get asked a stupid number of times, and I say, so rather than say I can kick your ass, I just say, if we were on Gilligan's Island, you'd want Bill Nye as the professor. <laughs> well, thank you. I he, am a would, he would save Gilligan. I, 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 would, I would romantically point out the night sky stars, yes, yes. but that's not saving anybody. Well, up next, we'll discuss the science of dating and romance. Yeah. With Bill Nye, the science guy. All right. When Star Talk returns. Whoa. This is Star Talk. Welcome back to Star Talk from the American Museum of Natural History. We're featuring my interview with science educator extraordinaire. Bill Nye. Yes. And I asked Bill if his love for science permeates his love life. Let's check it out. Do you bring any science or engineering analysis to your dating? Sure. <laughs> the most romantic story I know, Neil, absolutely the most romantic story I know, is, of course, associated with the making of the atomic bomb. <laughs> so this is where uh, they recruited young scientists and mathematicians to go to Los Alamos, New Mexico, to work on the Manhattan Project to try to finish this thing off, get this war over with. And they approached Arthur Compton. And he was a young guy at the University of Chicago. We want you to come to Los Alamos. Let's go right away. He said... Uh, yes, I'll come, but I, I got to have security clearance for my wife, Betty. And they go, no, 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 come on, Mr. Compton. Maybe it's Dr. Compton at that point. You've got to get down here. We got to this matter of national security. Let's go. And besides, Arthur, why do you want security clearance for your wife? And he said, I just, I just like to be able to talk things over with my wife. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. So, you want a scientifically literate girlfriend? I want a girlfriend I can talk things over with. Oh. Oh. Oh, oh my God. Well, for, for nothing says love like nuclear holocaust. <laughs> 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 
Well, for this segment on love and science, we have to bring in another guest. Mm. A friend of Star Talk, not her first rodeo on this program, Helen Fisher. Helen, welcome. <laughs> and every time you're on the show, there's some, some other book, Why Him, Why Her, How to Find and Keep Lasting Love. Mm. Right, exactly. Like you're some kind of expert. Hope so. I read a book <laughs> so, in fact, you are the chief scientific advisor to the internet dating site Match.com. I am. So, Helen, is this... He said he wants a girlfriend he can talk science to. Right. So how important is your mate as a sounding board in this yeah. kind of situation? Not everybody wants what I call a mind mate. He wants a mind mate. Some people want a soulmate. Some people want a helpmate. Some people want a playmate. I prefer a playmate. Probably most of you guys would, too. <laughs> he wants a mind mate. He's a very high testosterone guy, and uh, he wants somebody to talk things over. He's talking straight out of his biology. Wait, wait, so why does being a mind, looking for a mind mate, mean it's testosterone-driven? I, I think sex. <laughs> <laughs> Sex, sex too. Sex, like testosterone. That, isn't that like what makes men like super... And women, and women too. And women I mean, too. Sure, absolutely. I mean, testosterone is linked with a whole pile of biological traits. People who are very high testosterone tend to be analytical, logical, direct, decisive, tough-minded, um, good at what we call rule-based systems. Everything from math to engineering to, uh, to computers to music, etc. And... Uh, and that's what he is. Mm. <laughs> Interesting. Well, this brings us to the part of Star Talk we call Cosmic Queries. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and because what do we do? We took our audience, our fan base questions about the science of dating and romance. And we've got one of the world's experts right here at the table, Helen Fisher. So, Chuck, did you bring questions with you? Indeed, I did. All right. Neil. I haven't seen them, but we got we got the right expertise here. Yes, we Let's do. Let's do this. And so our first question mm -hmm. is from Layla Beam from Facebook. Is there a scientific basis for love at first sight? Yes. Um, I put uh, people in brain scanners and study the brain circuitry of romantic love, and it's a basic brain circuitry, and it can be triggered instantly. Yes. And I know that for a fact because I wanted to marry my wife the moment I saw her. 54% uh, of men have experienced it and 47% of, of women have experienced it. It's, it's, it's not magic. No. You know, I mean, when you think of a squirrel in the beginning of the, the Thank mating you for season. That. Thanks for taking my whole marriage. <laughs> Took my whole marriage and boiled it down to me being a squirrel. Oh, a rodent. Yeah. Nut chasing yeah, rodent. Nut chasing rodent. <laughs> Just gotcha, thanks. <laughs> well, the bottom line is that all animals feel an instant attraction. Uh -huh. And a squirrel in the beginning of the mating season, she's got to find another squirrel who's got nice perky ears and a nice fluffy tail and a nice good gait. And she can't spend three years talking about his college plans. She's got to get on with the program here. So this brain circuitry can be triggered instantly in all kinds of mammals and certainly in people, too. Well, and what a lot of people don't know, um, just to say, is that if you stick around long enough, it happens over and over again. That's a beautiful thing that you said. I'm because, serious. you know, we have put people into the brain scanner who are in their 50s and 60s who came into the lab saying that they were still madly in love, not just loving, but in love with their uh, long-term marital partner. And but in Helen, fact, to, it can happen over and over and over, just like you said. You have to realize what you sound like. Uh, people come to my life and we stick them in the brain scanner. This just sounds... So romantic. <laughs> <laughs> When in doubt, stick him in the brain scan. <laughs> Pop him in. All right, Chuck, what's that? <laughs> All right, here's our I next question me. from Sidereal um, Synapses from Cideril? Instagram. 
Can love solely be attributed to the chemicals in the brain? Or is there something still magical and wondrous about it? Are we just chemical love lab? Or are we tapping into the beauty and the passions of the universe itself? It's great delivery. Sure, why not? Uh, there's always magic to love. I, I would say no to the universe part of it. <laughs> <laughs> I would, too. <laughs> Wait, so Helen, what you're saying is you will allow there to be some dimension that you're not measuring that might still sort of wrap this package in a bow. I've never met two people who were alike. I'm an identical twin, and even she and I are not exactly alike. How do I know we have the right Helen Fisher? <laughs> you can guess. Chuck, next question. All right. Well, um, we have one last question, and I believe this one... Is from the man that we are discussing himself. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Bill Nye. With Bill Nye. Whoa! Whoa! <laughs> Bill, you got a question for us. Yeah. So the question would be, uh, you, you answered several of my preliminary questions. But, uh, Helen, in this case of chemistry, is there something to human pheromones or are they overwhelmed? And I have a follow-up. Are they related to this mythic uh, uh, multi, uh, what is it? Um, Major histocompatibility com com complex. Um, oh, so those are two separate questions. I've already forgotten the first one. Oh, about pheromones. I, I didn't uh, understand either question. Okay, so well, could, I'll... Could you repeat, thank you. So there's two things. Um, I'm not a person who does believe that uh, humans have basic pheromones. If you were to talk to a couple scientists, they might su support that, but most of us do not. Um, we are basically an animal that, um, we are, we're a sight animal. You know, we don't say love it for smell, we say love it for sight. You know, for millions of years, uh, you'd fall out of your trees if you didn't have a good vision. And those huge parts of the brain are built to look at somebody. So we look at somebody and size them up rather than smell them to size them up. Um, and it may play a tiny little role, but it's nothing that's going to be imp really important in mate choice. Um, unless somebody smells perfectly horrible, and that's a different <laughs> issue. But uh, And then um, MHC compatibility. They have found that um, if you, it's a certain part of the immune system, and if you and your partner uh, share a lot of the genes in that part of the immune system, um, uh, the female's going to be likely to be more adulterous on the side. So there are chemical uh, things that are playing a role in pair bonding and romantic love and, and adultery. And the MHC uh, compatibility is, is one of them. So, um, but there's many other things, you know. I mean, you know, we fall in love with somebody for a great many reasons. And uh, chemistry is one, certainly. That's what we've been talking about. That's probably about 50% of the, of the show. But we also fall in love with somebody <laughs> from the same socioeconomic background, same level of intelligence, good looks, sense of humor is essential. And the more you get to yes. know somebody, the more you like them. So it's not just good looks. <laughs> well, Bill, we got to run. Thanks for dropping in. Dude! Oh, uh, let's change the world, you guys! Science! Science! Change the world! Oh. <laughs> and Helen, thanks for dropping in on this love segment. Yeah, it's awesome. You guys are wonderful! You guys are yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Helen Fisher, everyone. Why him? Why her? She's still at it. <laughs> up next, Bill Nye gets all fired up for science in the continuation of my interview with him when Star Talk returns. 
There are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are influencers on the internet. Which means Tubi is more popular than sponsored posts for digestive enzymes and high coverage foundation. More popular than soft launching your boyfriend. More popular than making boomers explode with rage when you tell them how much you make on a single post. Tubi, it's more popular than influencers. See you in there. Seasons change. Why not your gaming tech? Upgrade now during the Alienware Summer Sale event and save on select next-gen Alienware PCs and more. Pair your impressive skills with our advanced gaming systems like the Alienware M18 laptop powered by an Intel Core i9 processor featuring awe-inspiring visuals, liquid cooling, three-dimensional audio with Dolby Atmos and impressive overclocking potential. Plus, build your dream setup with great deals on select gaming monitors, mice and more must-have electronics and accessories. When you shop online at Alienware.com deals, you'll have access to leading-edge gaming technology to conquer the competition and free shipping on everything. Exceptional prices await you for a limited time only at Alienware.com deals. That's Alienware.com deals. Guess who's a Verizon Fios customer? Okay, it's me. You got me. That's right. And I love Verizon Fios because I love having a fiber optic connection come directly into my home. That's right. It doesn't stop at the street and then regular cable comes in. No, it comes directly into my home. And that gives me the best viewing experience that I could ever have. And now for a limited time, you can stream what you love for less with Verizon. Get one year of Peacock Premium for just $19.99. That's a savings of over 60%. Save on all your favorite shows and movies, from Traders to Love Island to Trolls Band Together to Yellowstone. Start saving on the subscription you love at verizon.com slash plus play. Available through Verizon Plus Play. New Peacock subscriptions only. After one-year promotional period, subscription auto-renews at then-current annual price plus tax unless you cancel. $59.99 until July 17th, 2024. As of July 18th, 2024, the price will increase to $79.99. Additional terms apply. See verizon.com slash plus play for more details. Hey, we'd like to give a Patreon shout-out to the following Patreon patrons. The Fellowship of the Doge, Stu Glasner, a.k.a. Neurocleric, and Tabitha Bradley. Thank you guys for your very normal names. Well, at least you, Tabitha. And if you want to support us on Patreon, go to patreon.com and support us. The future of space and the secrets of our planet revealed. Is Star Talk. Welcome back to Star Talk from the American Museum of Natural History, right here in New York City. We're featuring my interview with America's science guy. Who could that be? None other than Bill Nye. So let's check it out. 
in your sort of later life, post-science guy, you've written a couple of books? Three books. Three books? Three books. <laughs> One of them's about evolution. Now, here's an example, Neil. I'm not an evolutionary biologist, mm -hmm. but I, haven't, I claim I have enough science literacy to have written a book about the fundamentals of evolution. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I did. It's not only the science literacy, it's street cred as an educator. Thank you. Yes, I do, I do consider There's myself an educator. There's plenty of science literacy where you, people don't know how to communicate, and then that's, that, that could be I've worse. I've worked very hard on becoming a competent educator, and Neil, I will say this to the audience, one of the most moving things I've ever received and I've kept is a note you wrote me long about 1998 saying, Bill, you are an educator, and you meant it with, I believe, you meant it with respect, and I treasure that. But it is an extraordinary time where this anti-science movement has gained so much strength and momentum. And we have people who sincerely question whether or not the Earth is a sphere or an oblate spheroid or whatever the heck it is. Are you kidding me? Are you really real? And they seem to be quite serious about this. And I know you fight this fight. Our real understanding of our real place in the cosmos is so exciting. You just want to go up to people on the street and go, hey, man, the Earth is a ball. Isn't that the most exciting and extraordinary thing you can imagine? Wait, wait. The Earth, Mars is a smaller ball. It cooled off faster. It got an ocean before the Earth did. It got an atmosphere before the Earth did. Perhaps life started on Mars before it started on the Earth. And you and I, through an extraordinary solar systemic collision, are descendants of Martians. That is an hypothesis that I would like to investigate in my lifetime. Just thinking about it is, fills me with reverence. And then I was at Cornell when Hans Bethe would do the freshman lecture, something by all accounts he insisted on doing. Brilliant physicist. And he's the guy that discovered or quantified or wrote down the CNO cycle, the carbon-nitrogen-oxygen cycle in stars that produces all the elements of which you and I are made. No matter who our ancestors were, you and I are made of the same star dust. That is extraordinary and fills me with reverence every day as a human, as a scientist, a science educator, and frankly, as an engineer. It is amazing. We would not have light-emitting diode lamps for this television interview without rare earths, which came from some exploding supernova. Rare earth elements. Rare earth elements, yeah. like heavens, pun intended. That is amazing. Emily, why isn't everybody this fired up about science? <laughs> well, it's hard to be as fired up as Bill, but I do think that Bill has been studying this for such a long time that he understands it so well and understands how seemingly miraculous science is. I think that it can be really intimidating for people that don't understand science. It can be sort of a hit to your confidence. And so if we as science communicators can make science nicer and more welcoming, I think we're going to get more people just as excited. As so is it just nicer or is it what he was doing? He connected mm. exploding stars to studio lights. Yeah, relatable. So relatable. Definitely. So there's a sort of a down-to-earthitude yes. ab about it. And so I have to ask Bill, if he's that influential on the world, Yeah. What went wrong? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. How, what what, what happened? Yeah, what the happened? hell happened? Let's find out. You have influenced an entire generation of people in this land. Why is the country so messed up? Well, we're not done. That's what I tell people. I am, I'm serious. I am would it, be, would it be much worse if you never existed? Oh, yes, Neil. Without me, <laughs> the world would have flown all, off the rails much sooner. What sort of egomaniacal thing is that? I've tried my best to get young people excited about science. So as they come of age, mm -hmm. become captains of industry, they will make different decisions about the Earth's climate, about the role of uh, industry in improving the quality of lives of people, and the role of science. We have people running around not getting vaccinated. So you have, you have uh, targeted kids? Okay. On purpose. Okay. But you also step out of that zone in your later life, and you've targeted some adults. Yes, sir. Like creationists. Creationists. Head on. Yeah, yeah. And the creationist thing, understand, is motivated by the children. That guy and his organization in Kentucky are contaminating the minds of young people so that they are scientifically illiterate, so that they do not trust their own perception of nature. They do not have the critical thinking skills to evaluate evidence. And uh, so that as they become voters and taxpayers, the people they elect make good decisions for the betterment of society. So Emily, you're in the biz. How do you engage science deniers? Oh, very carefully. Um, I it's think not an, it's not an answer I'm going to accept. Yeah, well, I think that you have to first ask your question, is your goal in that conversation with a denier to be right about the science? Or is it to change that person's mind? Important distinction. Very important, because if you just want to be right about the science, you can be snarky and condescending and super witty, and you can rally a bunch of people to shame that person, but you will be right in isolation because that's a one-sided conversation. That person is not listening to As you. As my father used to say, it's not good enough to be right, you have to be effective. Yeah. All right, uh, up next, Bill Nye reveals his plan to change the world when Star Talk returns. This is Star Talk. Welcome back to Star Talk. We are celebrating the life and legacy of my really good friend, Bill Nye. And I asked Bill what he thinks is the key to science education. Let's check it out. It has to be entertaining first has to be entertainment first. The information and science and passion, beauty and joy come with, but it's gotta be passion, entertaining. Passion, beauty and joy. PB and J. Okay. Without the PB and J, nobody's gonna be into it. Without it being entertaining, nobody's gonna be into it. And what is it you loved about your favorite teacher, professor? Was his or her passion. Oh yeah. And you are passionate. Oh, it had nothing to do with what grade I got or anything. It's, it's, it's the that passion. infectious passion. Yeah. And my proposition is, if we had a scientifically literate society, we would be addressing climate change. The three things we want for everybody in the world, clean water, renewably produced reliable electricity, and access to the internet or whatever the internet, electronic information for everyone in the world. If we could achieve that, we could change the world and we could save it for us humans. The world's gonna be here no matter what we do. Earth, totally. Yeah, yeah. I want, 
to save it for us. And that's an extraordinary goal, but make no small plans. And Neil, I'm honored to be on your show uh, from time to time to promote science literacy, to have fun, and dare I say it, change the world. The man. Emily, how can science literacy change the world? I think science literacy is gonna be the next wave of literacy. Because if you think about it, in 1820, only 12% of the entire world could read and write. And today, that switched a bit. Now, about 15 to 17% of the world is illiterate. And so that alone, it's an indicator of how advanced a nation is, how advanced a society is. That's just regular literacy, not science literacy. Just regular literacy. And I think science literacy is going to be the next wave, the next requirement Mm -hmm. for how advanced a society is. He says science has got to be entertaining first. Mm. Can it just be intriguing or? Yes, it depends who your audience is. Okay. It doesn't need to be that entertaining for people that already love science. Right, exactly. Right? Exactly. But for people on the outskirts, yeah, I think you have to get them with the entertainment to welcome them into this circle. So you might have known Bill has been a contributor to this show. Yes. And on and off, because he's a busy guy, but he would send us dispatches from around the town. So our editors did a mashup. So just to pay tribute to his contributions over the years. Cool. So, so let's check it out. Greetings. Hey, Neil. Yo, Neil. Uh, science communication is what guys like Neil and I do to get people like you excited about the world around us. Let's roll that tape. <laughs> science leads to innovation. Just look at that skyline. All of those shapes came out of somebody's head. In your brain someplace. We've turned bunny trails and cow paths into streets and super highways. We've been able to preserve the lives of millions of people around the world. <laughs> That's simple enough. So how do we bring science to life? Soaring above the city gives you a new perspective on the world below. In our expanding universe. Take it all in. You have to breathe. We're all animals. Humans are in a class by themselves. We share all kinds of information with everybody all the time. Our imaginations could soar. Oh, I'm okay. And that's looking in. Looking up and out, perhaps we can answer the oldest, deepest questions asked by all of humankind. (coughs) Is time travel possible? Where did we all come from? Are we alone in the universe? Is what you're watching real? Am I real? It looks so real. Science will save us. Was it science? Or was it just plain trickery? It's not magic, it's mathematic. Furthermore, there are more stars in the sky than there are grains of sand on a beach. We've flown vehicles like this up into the icy blackness just to see what's out there. So let's do that. Let's honor the great tradition of exploring new worlds. Let's embrace the process of science for a better tomorrow for all of us. Right on. We gotta get to work. See you down the track. I will assert that the infusion of Bill Nye's videos into the classroom as early as elementary school, had the following effect. It enabled children to retain their curiosity through middle school 
That is the great trash heap of all curiosity. And I said to myself, my gosh, there's this rising demographic up through our civilization, but they're not old enough yet to become senators or members of Congress or captains of industry or president. They're not old enough yet. So most of the complaining we're doing about science illiteracy in the world, from my read, is not from the younger generation. So my generation may be unique in the posture of saying, I can't wait until the next generation takes over so they can fix what my generation f***ed up about this world. <laughs> and that is my tribute to Bill Nye. You've been watching Star Talk. I've been your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson. I want to thank Chuck Knight. Emily, thank you. First time on Star Talk. As always, I bid you to keep looking up. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu.